This week we have a rare treat. Recently, the co-host of Moments That Matter, Dr. Paul Schatzberger, had the opportunity to speak at his home church, Downtown Community Fellowship in Clemson. With his permission, we're sharing his message, which incorporates some of the foundational elements that you have heard here regarding Parker Palmer's book, Courage to Teach, and aligns beautifully with the theme of this podcast. If you've listened to Moments That Matter for any length of time, you've heard the name Parker Palmer and know the role that telling one's story plays in the direction of this podcast. In fact, we have a very exciting two-part interview this coming week when we discuss Dr. Schatzberger's new book, but I'm getting ahead of myself. I think this message today will cause you to reconsider and possibly reframe the big and small stories in which you study or play a role. Additionally, you can find out more about the church, DCF Clemson, on Facebook at DCF Clemson or their website, dcfclemson.org. And now let's join in with Dr. Paul Schatzberger and his thoughts on storytelling as inspired by Parker Palmer. There is this book uh, written by Parker Palmer. Uh, It's called The Courage to Teach, and it's intended for teachers, but not only teachers. And he talks about the need to maintain paradox and tension in life. And I'm so glad that Stuart Hayes is with us because um, he was real big on this when he was a DCF, uh, maintaining tension. And one of the paradoxes that uh, Palmer identifies is honoring the little stories of the individual and the big stories of the disciplines and traditions. And this is what I'd like to dwell on this morning. So we're in the midst of this series, right? Uh, The story of God. And I want to zoom out this morning, no pun intended, of course, and uh, talk about how we can consider the stories of the Bible in such a way that they are more meaningful to us. Uh, So just a little bit of background. I teach ethics to undergrads uh, and also masters and also doctorate. Um, So I'm kind of inundated (laughs) with it. Um, And one of the things that we discuss in class is postmodernism. And as with a fish that might have a, a difficult time describing the water it swims in, sometimes it's difficult to talk about postmodernism because Uh, we are completely surrounded by it. The advantage that I have over my undergrads, uh, especially, is that I'm older, and I've seen the kind of creeping effects of postmodernism since about the the 60s. Um, Back then, um, the ideas of postmodernism were considered revolutionary, and they were advocated mostly by academics, Uh, but now those ideas are absolutely mainstream. And I could talk about a lot of different aspects of uh, postmodernism, but the one I want to focus on this morning is the importance we place today on telling our own story, um, as some say, of living our own truth. Um, so, uh, just a <laughs> real quick lesson, okay? Um, modernism was all about rational thought and uh, the idea, if I can borrow from the X-Files, that the, the truth is out there. And it's something we can actually agree on. Uh, so the sources of truth tended to be um, those that had been around a long time. So, uh, for instance, the Greek philosophers or the Bible. Um, and then in response, uh, postmodernism says, among many things, um, that we have to actively construct knowledge for ourselves through experience. And therefore, knowledge is inherently personal and unique for each individual. So there's a need for us to tell our stories because they shape us and they give us a unique perspective on the world. And as a result, 
uh, unfortunately, the ancient sources of knowledge have become less important. Um, and this is the water that we find ourselves swimming in these days. Uh, we Christians then are presented with a dilemma, uh, or what Palmer would characterize as a paradox, um, and that's, uh, you know, in this age that we live in, even while believing that the individual stories are important and should be heard, we have the Bible, and uh, which we believe is God's word, and which the Apostle Paul says in 2 Timothy 3, that it is um, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And uh, so that's our, that's our conundrum. Um, Palmer believes the challenge uh, these days is that we see our stories somehow in opposition to stories such as those found in the Bible. Uh, that if we value the Bible stories as an example, that somehow diminishes our own stories. Um, so, uh, though he considers both kinds of story to be important, he makes this distinction between individual stories, referring to them as little stories, and the stories of history or the Bible, which he calls big stories. And he says, when my little story, or yours, is our only point of reference, we easily become lost in narcissism. So the big stories of the disciplines must also be taught in the learning space. Stories that are universal in scope and archetypal in depth, that frame our personal tales and help us understand what they mean. We must learn to listen to the big stories with the same respect we accord individuals when they tell us the tale of their lives. Um, so our little stories are important because they are personable, they are relatable. No one's going to argue with us because our story is based on personal experience. And, and goodness knows, I just published a memoir based on the stories of my life, so I certainly believe in the power of our own stories. Uh, yet, mine is just one story. Um, but there are bigger stories that span hundreds and even thousands of years uh, and have instructed millions of people uh, with their big themes and big ideas. I'm not only talking about the Bible, I'm also talking about the teaching of ancient philosophers that people have gravitated to for centuries. I'm talking about stories of discovery that have inspired generations uh, and the words of great leaders who have led our ancestors through some of the darkest times that our planet has known. Um, so the danger of the little stories uh, have to do with both time and experience, both of which are limited. Uh, we may also begin brandishing our little story as a big story. Best example I can think of today is the Flat Earth Movement. Uh, a bunch of individuals brought their own little stories together about Flat Earth and attempted to create a big story from it. Um, that's not how big stories are created. Um, so what makes a big story a big story? Um, the hallmarks of big stories is their enduring nature. Uh, they have been tested, and the principles have been found to be genuine and useful and inspiring. Um, and this is certainly true of the Bible stories, given that the youngest of them is at least 2,000 years old. And yet, since the invention of the printing press, the Bible has somehow never been out of print. But these stories have the crucial distinction that they are God-breathed, as the Apostle Paul put it. The Bible has been called the greatest story ever told. Uh, of all the big stories, the Bible offers the biggest because God is holding these stories up to us 
and the world as models of how to come to him, how to please him, and how to live out our days with him. Uh, so one of the most difficult challenges we face with the Bible's big stories is that, by and large, we know the end of the story. Um, and since we know how things will turn out, we become very blasé about the telling of the story. Uh, the big stories aren't like our small stories, we say, uh, because the big stories are closed-ended and our small stories are open-ended. Somehow they knew exactly what to do, whereas I don't have a clue, which is, by the way, a major theme of my latest book, that I don't have a clue. Um, I mean, of course, God shuts the lion's mouths for Daniel. Of course, David feeds, defeats Goliath. Of course, Jesus re resurrects Lazarus. Duh, you know. So um, we almost have to trick ourselves to make these big stories meaningful. Uh, and here is the trick. We treat the big story as a little story, as, in fact, our story. We don't denigrate the story uh, or discount its important for our, importance for the li our lives, but, in fact, it's just the opposite. Um, early in the biblical story, we first encounter characters and the dilemmas of the story. Um, and at that moment, we can introduce ourselves into the story, feeling what the characters must have felt, treating the story as open-ended rather than closed-ended, where literally anything can happen, uh, just like in our lives. In other words, we personally invest ourselves in the story, and the reward that we receive as a result of doing all these things is the revelation that of all the possible outcomes of the story in the Bible, what happened was, in fact, the least likely and also the most God-revealing thing that could have happened. So it's then that we notice things in the story that we've missed because we lack this more, what I'll call, vulnerable perspective. Um, so, uh, for example, Daniel chapter 3. We have the story of uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being thrown into the fiery furnace for refusing to bow to the image of King Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, many of us know this story, but how many of us have actually placed ourselves in the situation of these three men to feel what they were feeling, uh, not knowing what might happen to them? This is why I had you discuss the question that I did uh, about a time that you had to take a stand. Um, you've shared your story about that time, um, so now consider their story, uh, not as closed-ended, but open-ended. After being threatened with death for not bowing down, uh, they respond in verses 17 and 18, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. So with this more vulnerable perspective, we recognize that in the minds of the three men, there was certainly a chance that they wouldn't make it out of the furnace alive. Um, for me, this just enhances uh, what I read about uh, their allegiance to God and their decision not to bow down to the statue. I'm also struck by the kindness of God toward them uh, to literally walk among them in the furnace. Uh, so it says uh, a little bit later, then Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, 
weren't there three men that we tied up and threw in the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. Yes, your majesty. Absolutely, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. The question of whether that was an angel, whether that was God himself walking among the three men is infinitely less important than the fact that God cared enough about them, not only to save them, but also to reassure them in the, in the midst of the fire. Our God is not just a God who cares about the product of our faith. He also cares about and supports the difficult process of demonstrating faith. Uh, so for these three men, the story was open-ended. But, um, and this is why it's a big story, their resolve was unaffected by the not knowing. And we have a lot of not knowing in our lives. I think all of us would agree with that. Um, and we have to convince ourselves that those these stories are the big stories, and though they've become almost mythical in, in some senses, um, there was also not knowing uh, when this actually took place. So despite the intervening years, uh, building up of this thing is, as I said, to almost kind of something mythical, the truth is that uh, these were, in fact, human beings with all their fallibilities and uncertainties, just like us, uh, but they were nonetheless able to act in faith, thereby inspiring generations with their obedience to God. So our little stories matter. Um, they are, in fact, the basis of our testimony and often are the very thing that turns a friend to Christ. But they are also big, there are also big stories, the focus of the series this fall. Just as we would sit across the table and listen to a friend's story, full of empathy and concern, we need to have coffee with the characters of the Bible. We need to read these big stories with fresh eyes, seeing ourselves in the stories, seeing the stories as open-ended, and drawing from them the understanding and wisdom that we need to live. So uh, may God bless you as you read the Bible's big stories with fresh eyes. Amen. Thanks for listening to Moments That Matter, a podcast that looks at the moments in our lives that come along from time to time that have consequences long after the moment, especially those moments that have to do with the choice of vocation. In his book, Let Your Life Speak, Listening for the Voice of Vocation, Parker Palmer speaks of a clearness committee in the Quaker tradition, wherein a group of older, wiser people ask questions of someone considering a life choice as a way of clarifying the next step. We may not meet with a committee about these big decisions, but we all have these critical junctures in our lives, which we can think of as clearness committee moments. We need to pay attention to these moments because they are profound and potentially life-altering. We'll relay stories from our lives and interview others about theirs, especially noting the clearness committee moments, those we choose to recognize and those that were sadly ignored, those decisions that were made with God in mind and those that were not. Our hope is that these podcasts will cause you to think of the same kind of moments in your life with new clarity.